Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. everybody, welcome to a new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another new episode. And if my memory serves me correctly, by the time this one airs, you will be a uh, day before Christmas Eve. So this will air on the 23rd of December, so just a little over a w- Actually, it's uh, one week from the time I'm recording this with Christmas on the horizon and finishing up my master's degree. I have been slammed with work in my office, and so I have not had any time to sneak away until now, so hopefully I'll be able to get uh, this episode, and I've contemplated doing just a couple minutes, maybe 10 minutes or something on Christmas Day. I haven't quite decided yet if I want to go that route. I mean, it seems like everybody does a Christmas Day episode, and I love them, but I mean, how much do you really need, and is it actually going to be something that you listen to? I would encourage you, because I probably won't actually do a Christmas Day episode this year. I've done them in the past, and they've been really interesting, and and I've tried to follow with my church preaching uh, the kind of construct of concepts and, and um, details, if you would, behind the sermons that I'm preaching. And so I take the sermon, and I dig into more of a teaching uh, construct and, and help to explain various things, whereas in the sermon... You keep things much more uh, linear, if you would. I, I try to explain some of the text, but I don't get a full in-depth teaching. You know, we don't do word uh, teaches, you know, we don't do anything like that. We don't break down Greek and Hebrew and all that jazz. But in a sermon, it's just a straightforward, here's what the text says. Here's a little bit about the text. Here's some context. Uh, what's going on around it? What is happening? And how does that apply to you? Does this Is this still relevant for you today? Is that sin that Jesus is engaging relevant for you in your life? And that's how uh, we as Lutherans do our preaching, the law and gospel distinction. We talk about the text a little bit, talk about the law, gospel, there you go. So I haven't really decided to do Christmas Day episode, and as I'm just kind of sitting here pondering it, I probably won't, just for the sheer fact that this will air on Friday. 
and you guys will have a busy weekend. So I probably wouldn't expect even this episode to get too many listens um, until down the road. So I just think we're going to pass on it. But I do want to say Merry Christmas to everybody who is listening. And I am so appreciative of all of you who have joined in on this and have journeyed with me thus far through the Gospel of Matthew. So what uh, we're looking at in today is going to be verses 31 and on in Matthew chapter 5. We're still in 5. We're going to look at divorce and then we're going to kind of uh, see where that leads us. There's quite a bit of context to take on with that. So we will see how... Um, Jesus works us through that text and uh, how that uh, is impacting us today. Um, but as a side note, if you are interested in knowing about the sermons that I preach, you can find it on YouTube at Stratford Evangelical Lutheran LCMC. So that's our church. Uh, you can hit that link through the bio on Instagram. You can hit also get it on our Facebook page, all sorts of ways to get to it if you can't just search and find it. Uh, or DM me and I can point you in the right direction too. But right now what we're doing is looking at the lectionary text. And as we walk through the lectionary, we are looking at this construct of who Jesus is. Was he just a good moral teacher? Was he, you know, uh, just a good rabbi? Was he somebody who just found the right thing in life? Or was he something greater? Was he the Messiah that John had truly spoken of? And so we've looked at it. Uh, we've looked at John the Baptist uh, the last few weeks. Uh, This week, we're going to change directions a little bit, and we're going to actually look at Luke chapter 1, and we're going to visit Mary, and we're going to talk about Mary for a bulk of uh, the sermon. We don't generally pay her a lot of uh, homage, and so we're going to focus on her for this week, and then Christmas Eve will be uh, kind of more of a focus on Joseph, but more or less the construct of Christmas through the eyes of the cross. So that'll be Christmas Eve, so you can watch all those sermons if you are interested in watching them live, just send me a DM. I'll get you a link. And that's <laughs> that's really all I got for you on uh, the sermon. So um, just a few quick reminders. Obviously, patron uh, is a big thing for us because we are self-driven. Uh, we are listener-supported, I should say. We are, um, we are kept producing episodes solely because of you. And for those who... Uh, give money to this ministry. It is uh, deeply appreciative, and you go and help grow this ministry and help us to buy better equipment and better software, and you help us to produce better, more cohesive uh, episodes, and you have helped drive this ministry into what it is. So thank you for all who are patrons, and if you are interested, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. Ask me any questions that you want. I'm an open book. All I ask to join us is a dollar a month. You can go to patreon.com forward slash undying light and join us for a dollar a month or $10 and like 20 cents a year. So, and then other than that, logos.com forward slash undying light gets you some good perks with uh, logos Bible software. It's what I'm going to be using today. It's what I use every episode. It is, in my opinion, for me, for my needs, one of the best Bible softwares out there. There's other stuff out there. There's plenty of study Bible software is out there that uh, has import, you know, resources and things like that. And they, they're great. But for me, Logos is versatile. It works on every platform. I can have it on my phone, my computer, my tablet. It's everywhere I need it to be. And I have access to my entire digital library everywhere. So logos.com forward slash light. And then obviously just pay attention to the show notes. 
there's always other things, especially with fitness and that. We talked a little bit about that on A Matter of Truth, which if you haven't heard, we uh, recorded an episode, Anthony and I did, on uh, last week and uh, that should have aired this Monday, so it should be live for a few days. Uh, I talked a little bit about fitness, but most of that conversation was done prior to the actual um, recording of the episode, which is totally fine. So, But I'm also you know, open to talk about any fitness or anything like that because that is a big part of my life. So let's get into the topic at hand because uh, we've got... You know, again, no time constraints. Um, we want to take this as slow and as tedious as possible. And if it takes us 100 episodes to get through the 28 chapters of Matthew, then that's what it's going to take. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I want to really just cultivate this um, this message out for you. And then after we're done with Matthew, we'll probably look at another New Testament book. Uh, might do a couple of epistles. And then we might do maybe some general epistles, Pauline epistles. I really haven't decided yet after Matthew, but we'll look at some of that stuff. We might even do the book of Acts next. And once we do that, you know, wrap up a few New Testament books and we might go back and do an Old Testament book or we might do maybe um, start working through the history of Israel or, I mean, who knows, right? This show's got a long road of episodes ahead. So uh, buckle your seatbelts because it's going to be a, very long ride. I hope you've used the bathroom and you've got your snacks in, in tow because I am going to be cranking out episodes until I cannot do it anymore. So every Friday, 7 a.m. There you go. All right, divorce. So Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and he is continuing preaching. Last week we looked at lust and we talked um, through that, you know, the, the applications to men and women and how each of them can be guilty in numerous aspects of it. And how promiscuous our society has become and how uh, much uh, and how emphasized sex has become in our culture. That it's in our music, it's in our shows, it's in our movies, it's in books, it's in magazines, it's everything. It, I mean, sex is like the, the, the selling market piece to getting you to buy a product. And, it, it, you know, and it's what was really crazy. It's like it's even in the fitness industry. You know, have a chiseled body, take these supplements, you know, if you have sexual problems, then take this supplement. And, you know, it's just like it just never ends. It's everywhere. Now, sex is a good thing confined to the marriage between a husband and a wife. Sex is a beautiful thing. That is how we have children. That is how God tells us to, you know, be fruitful and multiply, to have many children. And I you know, for those who are blessed with that, praise God. But there are many out there who can't. And that is, you know, and that's, it, it's a tragedy, but it doesn't make you any less of a Christian. So if you are listening and you've struggled, it doesn't make you any less. And you, uh, whatever God has promised for you, that is something that, you know, hopefully will come to fruition at some point, whether it is to not have kids or whether it is to adopt, whether it is, you know, whatever the situation may be for you. But for the Christian, sex is a wonderful thing inside of a marriage. It should be confined to that. That doesn't mean the husband can go off and have a porn addiction. And uh, it doesn't mean the wife can go off and sleep with the neighbors or the milkman or the mailman. Uh, it doesn't mean that either of them can have affairs or sleep with another person outside of the marriage. And even still, and I would even venture to point the, and draw the line here when uh, we see 
marriage, the construct of it between a man and a woman, it's not a man and two women, even though there were uh, you know, many prominent members in the Old Testament who had multiple wives. This was never the original construct to marriage. It was supposed to be between a husband and a wife, one and one. And so it's not, uh, you know, two husbands and a wife. It's not uh, a husband, a wife, and then a girlfriend or whatever combination you want to try and, you know, uh, justify. It is husband and wife. And and the reason I'm kind of harping on marriage right now is because the text that we will see here is divorce. And so it's uh, something that's pretty prevalent in today's culture. And in fact, I've heard uh, numerous um, Christian talking heads on social media that that really harp on divorce and uh, they really go to the extent to almost justify the fact that if you've been divorced, then you can't possibly either remarry. And if you do, then you're living in a life of sin. I mean, they really draw these really rigid lines and um, I'm going to try and unpack that and, and, and look at the text, hopefully with a little bit more grace and mercy, because I know many people who are, wonderful Christians and they've come from broken relationships. They've been divorced. They've had spousal abuse, all sorts of different things. Um, it, it, it's a pretty common thing and we will actually get to a deeper understanding of this when we get to uh, the 19th chapter, when the Pharisees question Jesus about divorce. And so, uh, they are going to engage him and they are going to try and uh, essentially usurp his authority and, and really try and pin him into this kind of paradox of, you know, if you say this, then obviously that is wrong. And, but, you know, Moses tells us this, so then you must be right or wrong. You know, we'll, we'll dig into all that. So Pharisees are quite good at trapping, but Jesus is even better at eluding. So We'll dig into that context more in depth when we get to chapter 19 of Matthew. But for now, uh, just these two verses, this is what Jesus says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So it's pretty straightforward. Uh, this is a... Uh, referencing to, you know, the sexual immorality um, would be adultery. And it's, it's a pretty common uh, interpretation of the text that if you commit adultery, that's the only grounds for divorce that Jesus is giving. And this goes back to Deuteronomy 24, which, again, we will see um, more in depth when we get to chapter 19. And then I think we'll talk, we'll save it for that episode. We'll save it, the, you know, purpose of marriage, economic purposes, and the frequent divorces, things like that, that happened in early Israel. We'll save that for that particular chapter. So what we're understanding here is Moses, back in Deuteronomy, gave the Israelites a means to get out of a divorce. They um, would nullify the marriage, and and then according to their customs, they would no longer be committing sin if they go off and marry another woman, or that woman goes off and marries another man. And this became quite popular uh, throughout the history of Israel, and it really gave the Israelites a means that they can just divorce it for at will and marry at will. There was really 
you know, no construct for love. It was mostly marriages were mostly done for economic or personal uh, endeavors, you know, growing one's inheritance or, you know, marrying your daughter into another family for your own personal gain because that family would then give you, you know, cattle or sheep or, or something as an exchange for your daughter's hand in marriage. And so there's always something like that going on. And, and, and in the most times, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad deal. You know, we, we see in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, you know, finding love, and that is a beautiful thing. But, you know, we also have to understand that this, you know, the, the focus through the Old Testament is primarily on the uh, lineage of Jesus. And so it follows that lineage. And we see the patriarchs, we see the prophets, things like that. We don't see the everyday common folk of Israel. Occasionally we'll see them kind of chipe up and, and make comments and stuff out of a crowd. But for the most part, it follows very uh, strict, you know, history of Israel. And so we don't, like I said, get to see the finer details of everybody's life. But we know that according to the custom that they these men were free to divorce their wife and do whatever they wanted. And what Jesus is saying, and he's like, but I tell you that everyone who divorces his wife outside of adultery you have made her commit adultery whoever divorces or marries a divorced woman commits adultery so he's given two you know pieces to this here he's saying if you uh, force your wife to divorce you if you hand her the divorce certificate because in this time period obviously we we need to understand the contextual history behind it that men were the head of household which you know should still be in a in a godly home that that same manner but they were so much the head of house that they determined everything the woman does. And so they had this sort of authority over the woman that if they decided to, you know, write a certificate of divorce because they were unhappy with her, because she maybe did something wrong or whatever, and they were just fed up with it, they could divorce her and, you know, they would just essentially kick her out. And, and truly, because women were not looked upon as favorably in this time period, they would then fall upon some extreme hardships. And and it just gave men a means to live their life in selfish ambition and selfish, you know, uh, endeavors of the flesh and sin. I mean, prevalent sin. It was just, it was a terrible thing. And so what Jesus is saying is that if you divorce your wife, you have made her commit adultery. If it's on anything except adultery, if, if she... You know, if you, you know, like especially in today's culture where you have uh, irreconcilable differences, if you divorce somebody in that manner, then you make your spouse commit adultery. You're making her commit adultery. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the men here because they they were the ones that controlled this. It's not a manner of if the woman beats the husband, it, you know, she could, um, you know, do all sorts of different things. But the moment she commits adultery, that is the only viable means that Jesus gives here in this text that one can divorce his wife. Now, remember, we are articulating the law that Moses established. Jesus is not digging into this any deeper. He's just clarifying what Moses was trying to say. Beyond all that, we have this modern view that uh, even on social media, I've, I've ran into it, where people um, state that it should only be adultery 
that justifies one's divorce. And I see that obviously as being a, a significant thing. Uh, if, if I was counseling a couple and one of them had committed adultery and the other one wants a divorce, that then is a biblical reason for divorce. If um, one is just has trouble <laughs> listening and is lazy and plays video games all day, I'm speaking to you men, um, and has no desire to better himself and she wants a divorce, it's not a biblical construct to get a divorce. You can you can change that. You know, you can change the man, you can make him less lazy, you can make him more ambitious, and you can make him, you know, all these things, but he's only gonna change one if he wants to. And two, you probably should not have married him if he was in that manner, that laziness of a scope, right? Even if he's a believer, and I use that in air quotes, he's not equally yoked. And now this is what Paul's saying in First Corinthians that marriage shouldn't be between an unbeliever and a believer. That's what the unequally yoked is. But there's also different extremes of personality. It's like don't marry somebody that you just can't get along with and you're just but you're overly attracted to them. But you know that you're not going to be able to get along with them. You know, like there's things that that are pet peeves of mine that my wife does and then I have things that I do that bug her. You know, and those are minor things. I you know, <sighs> Neither one of us do it, but I, you know, it's a, it's a thing out there that if you go and open the fridge and you pull out the milk jug and you drink straight from the milk jug, I know there's people that do that. That's a big pet peeve, but that's not grounds for divorce. And that's not terms of being unequally yoked. It's just, that's a weird habit and probably a very disgusting one at that. Um, so just don't, don't drink out of the milk or you can get a glass people. Uh, but anyways, what I'm trying to get at in all of this is there are there there are reasons people today seek divorce mostly because they want to you know they they want out of a marriage they want to go and live their life they they feel like they've been cheated this is a big thing for young couples or people who got married at a young age and then they reach that like midlife crisis they want to uh, shed the the shackles and they want to go and live a life that they weren't able to live because they were married they want to go to the nightclubs. They want to go to the bars. They want to go get drunk every night. They want to, you know, sleep around and they want to experience all that. That's not a reason to divorce. In fact, what you're doing is, is you're you're giving up a God-created covenant for sin. Oh wait, that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They gave up this beautiful paradise that God had given them for sin. So. If I'm a pastor, as I am, if I'm sitting there counseling somebody on, you know, divorcing one, uh, one spouse wants a divorce, the as a pastor, the only thing I would give them is if one commits adultery, or if I know that there is physical and mental abuse going on, if I see traces of abuse, then I would be more than willing to grant one a biblical divorce. Because I don't believe anybody should be chained to somebody who's going to physically or mentally abuse that person. That is that is not what we are called to be as Christians. Because then that goes to what Paul's saying to where we are unequally yoked. We are finding somebody who we just can't possibly contend with in that. 
But there are people on social media who like to argue against me on that. And they push back saying, well, you can't do that. That's not biblical. And I'm like, when you become a pastor, you can make that decision yourself. Most of them won't. They're just, you know, uh, keyboard warriors. And they, they, they take the legalistic construct of the law to the very absolute necessity. But here's the funny thing. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. The law gives you general things, right? So Jesus makes a comment, and I just I like to use the one in anger um, uh, often because it's easy to work with. But he says in that text earlier in chapter 5, he says, If you have called your brother a fool, then you have murdered your brother. So he's saying if you get angry at your brother and you start calling him names and you start pumping onto him with all sorts of insults and that, you have murdered your brother with your heart. You have spiritually and mentally murdered your brother. But if we take murder as a construct of being a physical removal of life, how does that factor into the spiritual essence? See, Jesus gives us these these little pieces to this greater puzzle. And that's why I can look at something like divorce and say, if I think there's abuse happening, it certainly would be justifiable for a divorce. That's just the way I look at the text. I think there's there's deeper things to it than just reading it at face value and saying that this is the only way something can happen. Now, in, in many parts of the text, that is true. But when we get to something like anger or lust or divorce, we understand that there are deeper threads being woven underneath all that, especially with lust, right? Jesus didn't have... I'm sure in this time period have to deal with any pornography. Were there brothels and, and prostitutes? Absolutely. But there wasn't the um, you know cell phone that housed a endless supply of porn. There's not the ability to secretly have affairs with people. It happened. Like I said, there were brothels, there were prostitutes. They, you know, that was something that has been in society for centuries. But there's also the deeper thread that, you know, what the text doesn't tell us because there was no internet, there was no cell phones 2,000 years ago. So everything has developed and changed and made it very, very hard for people today to live a life free of sin. And and obviously you're not going to be sinless, but these big temptations, you know, alcoholism and, and uh, porn addictions and things like that, these are things that you can really conceal. You can conceal all of this stuff, sweep it under the rug, and just let it go. And and never have to pay attention to it again. You have allowed the sin to manifest itself in your life, and you have been able to just kind of, like I said, sweep it under that rug. So, all that to say, if I'm counseling a family or a husband and wife, and I know there's abuse going on, and they're seeking divorce, I would be in my view, biblically obligated to grant it. Nowadays, divorce is generally done through, um, you know, through the state because there's all these legal ramifications and taxes and all sorts of stuff that you have to deal with. Um, but within the church, I can still grant that biblical divorce and allow them to walk away with a peace of mind knowing that they won't be committing adultery because they have been, you know, biblically separated. It would be the last thing I ever want to do. I would love to work with a couple that 
you know, is going through something like this and, and see them to the end where there's a good conclusion and a good um, result of the counseling. Now, obviously, I don't wish that, but I, what I'm saying is, is if I have this in front of me, then I will see it to the very end and I will do everything in my power to ensure that divorce is the last option for people. Sometimes it's the first, right? And there's various, re, you know, uh, viable reasons for that. Adultery would be one of them. Um, abuse would be another. But anything beyond those two things, divorce should be the last option one can take. So that's a chunk of time on divorce. Let's look at oaths really quick. This is only a few verses. It's four, but we'll uh, technically five. We'll uh, work through this pretty quick. This is what Jesus says. Again, you have heard uh, you have heard that was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let you... Uh, say be simply yes or no and anything more uh, than this comes from evil Uh, so merely this right in verse 33 uh, not to swear falsely just as the old testament law permitted divorce so was swearing an oath uh, where they were allowed jesus condemned swearing falsely and breaking this oath Um, then he goes on to say that not to do this in heaven earth or jerusalem when taking the oath Many Jews refrained from using God's name, uh, but substituted some other significant term. Jesus pointed that these terms were closely related to God, his throne room, his footstool, his city. And some people believe that swearing by an object other than God lessened their responsibility of actually keeping that oath. Then he goes on in verse 34, do not take it at all. Uh, Do not take the oath at all. Jesus instructs his disciples to refrain from taking any foolish oaths. We are not to swear in support of evil, that is, support falsehood, or to swear when there is no need or use. But we should swear for the support of good and the advantage of our neighbor. So uh, then he goes on to say uh, in verse 36, and do not let you, uh, and do not take an oath by your head. Another example of substituting a lesser object for God. Uh, but even the hairs on one's head are under God's governance. So simply this, Jesus tells his disciples not to, to take an oath at all, expressing this general rule of conduct to him. The bottom line for Jesus is truthfulness. When believers lie or exaggerate commitment, they are letting them they are not letting the light shine. This rule applies especially when believers converse with fellow Christians. However, There may be times when Christians are asked to take an oath in their earthly affairs or conducts with governing authorities, and out of loving consideration for this request, Christians may comply. Thanks be to God that he vowed to save us and fulfilled that vow in his son's death and resurrection for our salvation. So, simply this, don't take an oath if you don't have to. Don't swear by anything uh, because it's all under God's authority. And... Just simply say yes or no. That's what your answer should be. Don't dig into that mess of stuff. But contextually, there is some Old Testament uh, 
constructs to all that, but really for this little passage, I don't think it's quite uh, relevant. Uh, and I think sometimes even still 33 through 37 get overlooked because they're like, meh, it doesn't apply to me. But it does. It it, it absolutely does and it can uh, because when we get into any sort of life in this world, uh, in whatever career we find ourselves in, there is the uh, there is the possibility of having to take an oath. Whether you are uh, you get jury duty and you have to go in front of a court and you have to swear that you will tell the truth. Uh, you know, or you have to uphold, you know, um, an unbiased position if, if you're a jury member. But if you're a witness, you have to, you know, swear to tell the truth. Uh, you know, all of these things require us to give an oath. And in these conditions, it's okay to do. But as Christians, we should also understand that we are not to lie or exaggerate or, or manipulate or anything like that. We are to be truthful, even if it is going to hurt us. That is the goal of Christianity. Christianity. So I'm going to wrap today's show with that. And uh, I am going to go continue doing more homework because that's kind of the life that I have right now. And uh, I hope by the time the new year rolls around, I will be uh, very, 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 very close to being done, uh, if not completed entirely. I still have a little bit of a road left. So please pray for me if you would. That would be tremendous. I could certainly use the motivation to finish these last handful of assignments. Lots of papers to write. I think I've got something in the ballpark of like, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, 12 papers, I think, left to write um, total. And so that's probably going to take me north of 25,000 words to punch down. So they're not long papers, but they're very tedious and very meticulous. So I need... Uh, encouragement to just sit down and crank it out so with that said i hope you guys have a great christmas and i hope that if you have a church that's open go and attend service on sunday morning i hope you are blessed by the the beautiful message that christ has been born to us this day a savior has been given in the city of david bethlehem a child has been born unto you that is the christmas message and as i said if you want to listen to my christmas eve sermon it will be available tomorrow or probably Sunday or Monday. But if you want to stream it, if you've listened to this before Christmas Eve, uh, if you want to stream it, let, let me know and I'll get you the link to watch it. But Christmas Eve, we're going to take a gander through the eyes of the cross as we look at the, uh, the, the nativity scene. So that's that. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. I hope you have a great week. God bless. Merry Christmas. We will see you all uh, next Friday, the last Friday of 2022. And by the way, there will be a Rantathon 2022 coming up. I will probably drop that New Year's Day as long as I can get it recorded. That is the goal. I've got a couple people slated. Uh, it'll be a heavy Lutheran Rantathon. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys are too. And uh, I don't know how long it'll be. It could be an hour, two hours. We'll see. So. That's that, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. Have a great weekend. See you all later.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.